It's great to be here today. Uh, I'm glad, uh, always, always glad to be able to share. Uh, it's also good to have Bobby and uh, Sydney and the band and all, all the guys leading in worship and uh, just excited about being here and, and being a part. Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, we've been doing a series uh, on questions and answers that Jesus is the answer. And uh, uh, we uh, had this list. And so I'm, today I'm going to be sharing with you uh, about what the Bible says about marriage, something that I really love to talk about uh, uh, but also what the Bible says about divorce, which is something I really don't like to talk about. But the Bible does uh, tell us some things about that as well. So we're going to uh, uh, be sharing with that. Uh, um, again, I'm Dick Bagwell. I'm the uh, associate pastor of adult ministries here. Uh, I was the uh, college pastor here for 15 years. And before that, I had been 17 years of doing student ministry. It's really kind of interesting because uh, I was called to ministry when I was 16. Uh, uh, then I... Uh, ran from God, didn't really uh, desire to follow that. Uh, it wasn't long after Jan and I were married when I was in my 20s that uh, God just kind of put that burden back on my heart and uh, 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 went and told her not long after we were married, I think God's uh, calling me into ministry. And her response was, I wish you had told me before we uh, uh, were married. But now she's a wonderful pastor's wife. And uh, uh, so we uh, went to Southwestern Seminary where I... Uh, uh, got a degree in religious education and one of the things I said when I went was you know I'll, I'll do pretty much anything I don't really sing so I won't be doing music I really don't like to stand up in front of people so I probably don't need to be a, pa a pastor and I sure don't want to work with students uh, that's the last thing I'd like to do so uh, I had a, a background in uh, recreation so I got a, a degree in church recreation uh, first job was First Baptist Selicaga when they called they were building a Christian Life Center and asked me if I'd come help them build it and, and uh, to run that uh, building and so I said I would and they said and while you're at it we also would like to add something you know, for you to be able to do youth ministry as well uh, and so 75% recreation 25% youth and I was like okay sounds great yeah right uh, didn't happen that way uh, it was more 75-25 the other way uh, but I uh, fell in love with youth ministry and student ministries at, the, at that time and I was able to spend a lot of time with uh, students through the years uh, again we, we uh, served there for eight years and then went to to Arkansas for eight years and then I came here as the college pastor uh, where I served for, for over 15 years as a college pastor and, and honestly I really love those 30 years of ministry with students uh, especially with uh, the college I think I look back on that and it was uh, uh, just such a wonderful wonderful experience uh, I don't think there was hardly anything about the college ministry that I didn't like uh, I love the events, uh, the beach retreats, and uh, the the big hoedown we did annually uh, out at the Lazenby Farm, and uh, the the different things that we do, like the luau's that we had, and all those different events. Uh, I love spending time with some of the guys. We'd uh, every year try to get a group of guys and just kind of pour into them and do some discipleship with them. Uh, there there was just so much. Uh, so, uh, so many good times that we had. Uh, loved going on mission with them, uh, and they they loved uh, going on mission trips. And we got to go several international trips and uh, uh, served God in so many different ways internationally and uh, here in the United States as well. Uh, wonderful time. So it was always fun to me to to work with students because one of the things that was so important, uh, I think, in that that ministry. I know Bobby's doing such a wonderful job with that now. Is uh, they they're trying to find their direction in life and uh, it's all it's always fun to know that you can help someone and lead and guide them and disciple them into finding the direction where God has them to go 
to find their mission that they have in life, uh, to where God would have them to serve. And uh, so many stories of, of students who came here to Auburn and uh, 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 came to Parkway and their, their goal was to be an engineer or a doctor or a teacher or, or whatever it is God, whatever it is they wanted to do when they got here, God began to work in their life and they uh, uh, began to serve him uh, either as a missionary or, or in ministry. Uh, and many of our students also began to finish the, what they came for, uh, began to serve God in their local churches. So that was always fun to help them find their mission. But I think one of the most, one of my most favorite thing to do uh, uh, was to help in those situations when a guy would meet a girl uh, and they would fall in love, uh, and we got to help mentor, help uh, uh, lead them into those directions to where they would uh, uh, become husband and wife. And uh, uh, I got to officiate uh, several, several uh, weddings. Uh, Jan and I have tried to figure out, we've kind of lost count. Uh, I love doing that. I love being a part of that. I love uh, attending weddings. Just yesterday, uh, I, know, I don't know if any of you guys were there. I know some of our students were, uh, yeah, uh, I see a couple of heads. I actually saw somebody in the wedding party. Uh, uh, we had a wedding. Jenny uh, uh, Preston, our, our, our church secretary's daughter, Amanda, that many of y'all know because she sung here a lot, really involved in the church. She got married to Will Newton and uh, wonderful, wonderful ceremony friends, family all there with them and down in Union Springs, home of John Williams. Uh, uh, and uh, it was just a, a good time. Uh, I love going to those weddings. Uh, I love, again, I love officiating those. I also enjoy the premarital counseling that comes with it, being able to help lead and guide uh, uh, these uh, two that to understand what it really means to become one uh, in their relationship actually have a couple that I'm starting uh, counseling with tonight that's going to be getting married here uh, from our church uh, uh, in a few, a few months. So that's just such a fun time. Uh, uh, and I believe one of the reasons I love the weddings and uh, being a part of that so much, it's just the anticipation uh, uh, of what God's going to do in their lives as a couple. Uh, I think it's really a, a cool thing to be uh, a part of. And, uh, and so as we look today, we're going to be talking about marriage, and we're going to be talking about what God sees in marriage, but also, uh, uh, just sadly, uh, talk about what God says about, about divorce as well. So uh, I really believe that marriage is the single most important relationship that you'll ever have, uh, second only to your personal relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's one of the most holy things that a person can do. And you might be here and you might be saying, well, I'm single, what's this got to do with me? Uh, or, you know, you may be here and say, I've been married for 50 years, so I don't really need to listen. There's still a lot of truths that we need to learn from Scripture when it comes about, uh, about relationships and about our marriages. And, uh, and, and whether or not you're, you're married or even thinking about marriage, there's somebody in your life that is, that has been and that will be. So... Uh, uh, just know that it's a very holy thing that we need to be talking about. Uh, it should be entered into very reverently. Uh, it needs to be entered into with, as the Bible says, with fear and trepidation. Uh, it's an, uh, also be entered into with wonderful expectations of the possibilities of what God has. Uh, and also the fear uh, of the consequences of failure. And so uh, we're going to look at this. Uh, as people in their marriage, they have great joy and wonderful expectations of spending their lives together. Uh, you know, I think uh, officiating weddings is always fun to me. Uh, it's, uh, you know, 
you, you, you get the best view uh, of the wedding when you're up here uh, leading it. You're the, the person that gets to, when the doors open, you get to see the bride walk through for the first time. Everybody stands, and it's always really a cool thing. You know, and like some of the movies say, uh, when everybody turns and looks at the bride, it's always really kind of cool to look at the groom and see the expression on his face. Uh, uh, I've, I've told this story a, a few times in one of the weddings we did. Uh, uh, I, I wasn't sure what was happening, but everybody stood up, the doors opened, the bride stepped in, and the groom started walking. And I thought, where's he going? Uh, uh, he couldn't see her, so he wanted to make sure he did. So he walked down uh, so he could get a good view of his uh, bride coming down the aisle. Uh, so it's a wonderful experience uh, of seeing that, is they, it, the, the excitement that's on everybody's face uh, when, a, when the bride walks in. Uh, Again, people in their marriage with that great joy, with that wonderful expectation that uh, they're going to spend their lives with the person that they love. Uh, vows are exchanged, commitments are made, and the journey of learning how to make two distinctly different people one begins. Wow, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? But sadly, statistical evidence shows that the majority of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. Uh, uh, now, 33% of all households in the United States are single mom families. Uh, uh, unwed cohabitation is on the rise each and every year. Uh, what's interesting to note though, and a positive note, uh, there's a Harvard study that was just recently done and it revealed that couples who read the Bible together regularly who pray together regularly and who attend the church together regularly have a divorce rate of 1 in 1,287, less than one-tenth of 1%. I think that's a pretty amazing study when you consider it's from Harvard, who's not really known as a very conservative Christian organization, uh, our university. So uh, that's an interesting note to know that... Uh, uh, if you attend church, you study the Word together, you pray together, you get close to God, uh, then your, your odds are in your favor. Uh, you know, as when we do counseling, a lot of times we, we talk about how two different people, when they're here, uh, and as they draw closer to God, they're getting closer to each other. It's a pyramid. And so that's very important to, to know that uh, as a relationship that you have with, as you get closer to God in your relationships that you have with the person that you're dating or the person that you're gonna marry, the closer you get to him, the closer you are to each other. Uh, but contrary to popular belief, uh, second marriages, uh, the divorce rate is more than in first marriages. A lot of people think, seem to think that's not the truth, but it is. The, the, the truth is, marriage is a struggle. Uh, uh, and for a marriage to, to continue to grow and to grow strong and to grow in Christ, it takes hard work, uh, but it also has to have a, a lot of forgiveness. Uh, and I think most of uh, you wives and husbands can, can acknowledge that, that that's what it takes. Uh, during biblical times, I think it's important for us to look at, uh, at marriage and the customs of their day as we think about the marriages that we have. Uh, fathers would choose uh, the bride uh, for their, their sons. Uh, it was, that was very common. Uh, the betrothal, the engagement period, would last up to two years. Uh, uh, on, uh, but during that two years, uh, the, the, the groom-to-be would go to his home and prepare a place for his bride. The bride began to prepare her 
things that she needed to do to get ready for the wedding. And on that specific day, uh, the bride would get up and make herself ready. Uh, she would put on white and adorn her face with a veil. She would put uh, a garland of flowers in her hair and she'd wait for the groom to come. And the groom would leave with his entourage of men uh, and they would leave the house. They'd go together through the, the, the village or the town that they lived in. And as they went, people would gather with them and go with them and turn into a little parade as they made their way. Uh, to the home where he could, uh, they would arrive at the home of the bride's parents. He would get his bride and they would take him back to his house or his father's house where they would have uh, the, the wedding feast and the wedding celebration. And it was a joyous procession. Uh, the inviting guests would be singing and dancing to the musical instruments and uh, everybody would gather together. The banquet would be huge. The vows would be made. The marriage would be consummated. Uh, the wedding festival sometimes would last two weeks. If you've had a wedding recently and you think about two weeks instead of one day or one weekend, how tired those people must have been. But uh, the joy of marriage in the biblical day gives us a glimpse into the depths of uh, the love that God has for us, his church, the bride of Christ. Uh, the first miracle of Jesus was where? At a wedding. I think we all know that, don't we? I think it's safe to assume that Jesus enjoyed weddings. Uh, it was no accident that he performed his first miracle there. In the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, here's the story. It says, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 30 to 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. You know, I think it's not unusual for us to think about this, is that everything that Jesus touches becomes the best. Uh, Jesus chose uh, to perform his first miracle at a wedding. Uh, his transforming power caused the water to change and to acquire a new form. He showed himself to be the God of nature. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see that the beginning, Moses' miracle was turning water into blood. By turning water into wine as the first of his miracles, Jesus was showing the difference between the law of the Old Testament, Moses, and the law that he was going to preach, the law of love. The curse of the law turned water into blood. The water, the blessing of the gospel turns the water into wine. Wine represents his spirit. Water represents our spirit. The wine was unfermented, pure, with no decay. And our marriage can be pure and avoid decay as we open ourselves up to be full of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis and let God lead and guide our lives. I think one of the reasons God instituted marriage was to show mankind, all of us here, the relationship that he wants to have with every person on the planet. In the Old Testament, the word marriage is used to describe God's spiritual relationship with his chosen people, Israel. Uh, there are passages in Psalm and Isaiah that talk about the relationship that he has with us and the marriage that he has with us, his church. 
And when God's people fell into sin in the Old Testament, especially sin of idolatry, the sin was likened to adultery on the part of a wife. Uh, in the New Testament, that analogy is continued. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Uh, the Apostle Paul counsels husbands and wives to imitate the spiritual closeness and love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And the Bible tells us that we need to submit to one another. Uh, in Ephesians 5, one of my favorite passages and passages I use for our marriage counseling and so many different weddings, it tells us what marriage should be about. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives shall submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, we could, we could take that passage and really break it down about what it means, but it's just such a picture of what mutual submission needs to be. You know, it's, it's, we hear that word submit, and it's something that we kind of cringe with. We don't think that's a, a real positive attribute that we want. But in the Bible terms, when we submit to somebody out of the authority of Christ, out of the things that they do, the things how, and how they love us, it, it takes on a whole different meaning. Uh, wives, if your husband loves you so much, he's willing to die for you. If he's willing to, to see you as the most beautiful uh, woman on the face of this earth, if he's willing to, 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 to set you apart as the most important woman in his life, it's not really hard to submit to that type of leadership. Uh, uh, and man, if you submit to Christ the way that Jesus wants us to, that you're willing to die for your wife, die to all the things that go on around you to make sure that your wife's the most important thing in your life other than your relationship with him, it's not, it's not hard to have a relationship that God wants you to have. Uh, you know, it, it's said so many times that our relationships are a 50-50 uh, relationship. Uh, if you give me 50%, I'll give 50%. That's, that's not a biblical marriage. A biblical marriage needs to be 100% both ways. And I'm sure that's not realistic, uh, but it's what we need to strive for. I think realistically, it's probably maybe one, one person in the relationship will give a little bit more than the other. Uh, sometimes our, our giving to each other depends on the, the circumstances or the environment that we're about. It may be something about our job or something about our health. Our kids, all those different things uh, uh, change things in our relationships that we have with, with each other. But the key is that we need to be committed. Uh, marriage is first a commitment to God and then a commitment to each other. It must be based on that commitment rather than emotion. Uh, the emotion of love as mankind sometimes expresses it. It changes with the environment. Uh, uh, but commitment doesn't change. Uh, uh, when I asked Jana to marry me, I probably did not have the full understanding of what it really meant that my vows to, to her were really going to be vows to God. 
but if you are part of a ceremony, you realize that when you make vows to your wife, in actuality, you're making your vows before God, you're making vows before uh, your fellow believers, and you, you're making vows to your wife or to your husband. Uh, uh, but actually, that secondary commitment, when you make those vows to each other, uh, leads to that first commitment, the commitment that you have to Jesus Christ. Uh, he told us that he loves us with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's how we need to love each other. Uh, he also tells us we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we not not think of our wives as our neighbors, but in our in a church setting, as we're the bride of Christ, we need to love each other. Part of our vision that we have as a church is that we love God and we love people. Uh, it's very important. And uh, in, in our relationship, I'll be honest, we've never used the word divorce in any conversation we've ever had. No matter how much we've hurt each other, no matter how much we've wronged each other, uh, no matter the dumb things I may have said or the things I may have done, that was never on the table. Uh, we were steadfast in our commitment because we made that commitment to each other before God. Uh, I strongly believe, though, that God is a God of grace and mercy and that we need to hold tight to our commitments to each other. And as I said earlier, divorce is not something we like to talk about. But Jesus talked about it. Uh, the Bible talked about it. Uh, when, when someone's unable to live in forgiveness with their spouse or with their... Uh, <clears throat> they're telling the world uh, that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross uh, was not significant enough to restore their break, broken relationship <clears throat> and, and to forgive their sinful heart. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. If a believer gets divorced, it broadcasts to the world that salvation is based on works and not upon grace. This is why Jesus states that there are no grounds for divorce. Look carefully at the response he made uh, in the Gospels where the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus asked, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus said. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And when the disciples were gathered together with him at a later time, they asked him anyone, uh, to, to expand on this. He said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. You know, that's something we don't like to talk about in our world that we live in today. Uh, but Jesus really devastated them with his straightforward answer. He forced them to, to look at the real reason for their divorce, the hardness of their heart, the sin that was in their life, uh, the selfish needs and their selfish wants. And he made it clear that once a man and woman were married, God didn't consider them two people. He considered them one flesh. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of weight in what Jesus said there. Uh, the Pharisees wanted to talk about reasons, acceptable reasons for a divorce. Jesus wanted to talk about the sanctity of marriage. They wanted to talk about how, about when a marriage can be broken. And he wanted to talk about why marriages should not be broken. Uh, you know, whatever exceptions that the Old Testament law gave, the main thing is that marriage is designed to be permanent. Uh, the author of the book of Hebrews writes about divorce laws of the Old Testament. And he says that marriage should be honored by all. 
and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immorality. And he goes on to say, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Isn't it interesting that when he talks about marriage and relationships and keeping our marriage pure, uh, he talks about money. Uh, money can be one of the, the biggest problems in marriages, uh, the love of money. Uh, he goes on to say, that, though, that God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. Uh, you know, he said that first to Joshua. Uh, he said he would never leave Joshua or forsake him. And he says that to us today. Uh, so it, it, I'm, not a, I'm not a big proponent. I mean, I don't study Greek a lot. You know, I know some people do. Uh, uh, seminary, that, that was a struggle, you know, uh, the Greek was. But uh, uh, in the Greek text of that, Hebrews 13, verses 4 through 6, there are five negatives that run together. It actually reads, and listen to this, I will never, no, never, ever leave you. Is, is what it, it's literally translated to say. So God tells you, I will never, no, never, ever leave you, nor ever forsake you. So we have the assurance that Jesus, the groom, never divorces the bride. We're the bride of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ and a member of his body, uh, we're the spiritual bride of who he is. And he will never divorce us. Uh, he will always forgive us. He'll always be there for us. Uh, you know, in the, in the book of Malachi, I think the first service, Bobby read some about this. It said, you flood the, the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and your wife or youth because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he's seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in spirit and do not break faith. You know, divorce betrays and injures people. It injures husbands, it injures wives, it injures children. Uh, it injures the church body. It injures families. Uh, uh, it's, God needs to work in every marriage to try to make sure that we understand that the biblical covenant that we have with him is like communion, communion with God. Uh, uh, the man's wife is his companion, his friend, his best friend. Uh, uh, divorce is betrayal of your best friend. Uh, and, and God's own marriage, his marriage to us, God is faithful. He's faithful to us. He vows to be the husband to us. Uh, he vows in the Old Testament form in Israel that he is our, our uh, groom. He tells us that he will never divorce us. He'll never seek another. Uh, uh, he says he'll never separate from us. Even though we fail him, he will never fail us. His covenant is unbreakable. The proof of the cross is all that we need to understand. Jesus took all of our sins, all of our struggles, all of our pain, and he, he took care of it on the cross. The gospel does not change with time. Uh, doctrines don't change. Uh, people do depart from biblical truth. 
think it's important for us to understand, though, that we need to stand on what God's Word says. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Bible does give exceptions. Uh, it talks about unfaithfulness. It talks about abuse. Uh, you know, you should never, ever have abuse in a relationship. Uh, there, there always needs to be a, a personal decision about what needs to happen. Uh, the only answer for a troubled marriage is forgiveness. Uh, it's a relationship with Christ that will help with that. Uh, and we need to make sure that we work hard to forgive each other. Uh, but also understand that God is a God of mercy, a God of love, and a God of grace. Uh, uh, and isn't that wonderful to know? That even when we fail Him, maybe in your marriage, or maybe in your relationship with Him as, as His bride, uh, you, uh, you fail Him in so many different ways. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And, and if you look at this, Jesus was talking to men who lived their entire lives to try to serve God through good works, doing what they thought was right, uh, expecting to do the right thing, and that's how they got acceptance from God. And we understand from the book of Ephesians that it says, "As by grace we're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, they understood the old covenant law, but we understand Jesus' law, the law of love. Uh, Matthew describes uh, uh, the way that we need to forgive by saying, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. He's commanded us to do something that even Abraham and their fathers didn't tell them to do. Forgiveness without conditions. That was something they never even thought about. So it's, uh, it's important for us to understand in our relationships, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in the church or whether it's in, in the, whatever you have a relationship with Christ, that you make sure it's pure. It's pure and holy the way God wants it to be. Uh, you know, it, it's for every marriage to succeed, uh, we need to respond in the way Jesus responds, with humility, uh, with faithfulness. There needs to be no mistreatment, and forgiveness must always reign. Uh, I think it's exciting to know that as we come uh, to a point in our life and we don't know when it's going to be, the, the Bible tells us an exciting thing. As I think back on that, that, that Old Testament time where they, uh, they celebrated the weddings in, in a way that was really kind of cool because it involved the whole community. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians this, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will hear the joyous music of the great and final wedding march. And at last, the last trumpet sound, we will join the grand procession of believers together as the bride prepares to meet at last her groom face to face. If you're a believer, we're just waiting for that marriage festival, uh, that, that time that we can spend time with the Lord uh, forever. Uh, in Revelation 19, it says, For blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then in Revelation 19, 7, it says, Let's rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. So I guess the question for us, as we look at our relationships, whether it is in a marriage relationship with another person, or whether it's in your relationship with Christ in the church, are you ready? Uh, as the bride, are you getting yourself prepared uh, for the wedding festival of the Lamb, for that big celebration where we're going to be united with uh, Jesus forever. Uh, uh, again, in Revelation 22, 20, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, 
uh, every day we are closer to Jesus' coming than we were yesterday. We don't know when it's going to be. Uh, the Bible never tells us. But we know at some point he's going to appear. And he's going to have this great celebration, this marriage festival that he wants to invite you and I to be a part of as long as we're a follower and a believer of him. He is never going to forsake us. He's never going to leave us. He's going to celebrate with us as we join together as his bride, uh, the church, uh, and we spend eternity with him. So today I want to ask you, have you ever given your heart and soul over to Christ? Uh, are, you a, are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? If, if you are, then you can anticipate uh, being invited to that wedding celebration. If you're not, you're going to get left out. Uh, so you've got to make sure that you know in your heart whether or not you're a follower of Christ. And if you haven't, you can give your heart over to Jesus today. Uh, you, can, you can come before Him and ask Him for forgiveness, to repent of your sin and begin to follow Him and join in in the celebration uh, of a wedding with our Lord and Savior. Uh, that'd be an exciting thing. Uh, you may be looking for a church to be a part of, so uh, we'd like to invite you to be a part of that as well. Uh, or you may just need to come and talk about your relationship and your marriage. You may need to come pray over your marriage. Pray, uh, ask one of us if we'll pray with you as well uh, uh, to help you to, to do the things that God would have you to do. So let's pray together and we'll have our, our time of commitment. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this day. Uh, just for the wonderful blessings that you offer up to us and just for the, 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 just the truth from your word. And Father, even some of the things that we don't even like to hear, uh, we know that you're there for us. Uh, we know that you lead and guide us. We thank you, Lord, that you look at us uh, and you invite us to be a part of your family, uh, to be your bride. Uh, and Father, we just pray that if there's a man or a woman or boy or girl here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you'll speak to them. Uh, let them know how much you love them and how much you want to be in that relationship. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.